I'm Jonathan Capehart, and welcome to Capehart. The story behind the incredible Hulu series Black Cake was described by the Washington Post as a, quote, penetrating look at a delicacy filled with emotional turmoil. Black Cake was adapted from the New York Times bestselling book of the same name by Charmaine Wilkerson that tells an intergenerational, intersectional story of a Black American family learning the truth about their Jamaican and Chinese mother from her after her death. In this conversation, first recorded for Washington Post Live on December 6th, creator and showrunner Marissa Jo Serrar and actor Adrian Warren take us inside this multi-layered series. Warren talks about how Black Cake strives to counter the strong Black woman narrative, Sarar gets into the importance of showing stories of black and brown people that are not about the civil rights movement, slavery, or oppression. And she explains why Black Cake needed to be a multi-episode series and not a movie. I just didn't know how you would tell all of these stories in two to two and a half hours or three hours. I, I wanted to tell every character's story. I, it is not just Covey's story. It is not just Eleanor's story. It is Benny's story. It is Byron's story. It is Mabel's story. And I just wanted to really go deep and explore, you know, what would really happen if you're Mabel and you find out that your parents have lied to you about your adoption and your identity your entire life. All right, I'm just going to tell you, I wasn't able to get through all the episodes, but I just want you to know, I tried to get through all the episodes. It's that it's that good. It like pulls you way, way in. But we got to let people know what this is about. So Marissa Jo, let me start with you. Briefly explain the story of Black Cake. Oh, <clears throat> Black Cake is based on an amazing novel written by Charmaine Wilkerson. It is about a woman named Eleanor Bennett, a woman in her 70s living in Southern California who upon her deathbed decides to record seven different messages to her children, uh, explaining who she was before she became their mother. And these recordings, they detail an unsolved murder, a, an arranged marriage, and the fact that Eleanor's real name is actually not Eleanor, that she did not grow up in an orphanage as she told her children. And her adult children have been estranged for eight years, and Eleanor's death and this recording brings her children back together. And after they listen to this message, they can you know, choose to go their separate ways or come back together and actually remain a family. Um, Adrian, you play Benny, um, uh, Eleanor, AKA uh, Kobe's daughter, who is estranged from the family when the story begins. Uh, we have a clip. Let's take a look and we'll talk about it on the other side. You don't get to just blow in here acting like you care all of a sudden. I'm not acting. Ma is dead. What am I supposed to do? Show up. That's what you should have done. You didn't even tell me she was sick. You never called to check on her after the accident. When you said that she was fine. That was a year ago. Sorry. Let's get on with it. Read the will, please. Well, I know you want to get this over with, but this process is more complicated than just reading a will and signing a few documents. Your mother left you a message. This is part of it.
Yimby. There's a small black egg in the freezer for you. Don't throw it out. Sit down together and share it. When the time is right, you'll know when. Love, Ma. Black kick. Now, through that scene, we now see that Benny and Byron are estranged. Like they, they are estranged. So, uh, Adrian, tell us, explain what led to Benny's estrangement. Benny is a very, very complicated character, but she is so true and 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 she is a deep, deep spirit. I live in New York City, so if you hear any construction, that's happening. <laughs> um, Benny has been someone who's been trying to figure out her identity for a very long time. She has lived in a home where she feels like she cannot be herself. She feels like she has lived in the shadow of her mother. She feels like she has lived in the shadow of her father and her brother. Um, and she is an artist. And she is someone who is figuring out her sexual identity as well. And when you live in a home where you don't feel like you can be yourself, sometimes people choose to leave that home so that they can have a journey themselves and so that they can tap into who they are and become the person they are, not just in their family's perspective, in their family's view, but in their own. And sometimes when you're with your family, actually first, when you're with your family, how your family views you often becomes the way you view yourself until you have your own journey, until you grow up and realize that, you know, you are your own person and you can you can make all those self-discoveries yourself. Now, see, Adrian, you just said that. And now having seen as many episodes as I've seen, Benny is a microcosm of the story uh, of the story arc of Black Cake, just the way just the way you put it. Um, Marissa Jo, uh, El Eleanor says, and I quote, black cake evolved from the British plum pudding that colonizers brought to the West Indies. It reflects the marriage of cultures, mine and yours. Talk about how this series uh, explores this marriage of cultures. It is, you know, it's epitomized in the black cake and in our cast and in these characters and the true intersectionality of this cast. We have you know, Benny, who is first-generation daughter, a queer young woman who is a daughter of high-achieving Jamaican immigrants. And we have Byron, who is a Black ocean scientist, We, ha which is very rare in on, on television, at least. And we have Mabel, who learns that she's adopted, and she is living her white passing as life, passing as a white woman, and she doesn't even know it, while she's being accused of appropriating Caribbean culture. We have Covey, who is Jamaican and Chinese. You know, we have Lynn, her father, whose family immigrated to Jamaica from China when he was a little boy. So he's Jamaican, but he's Chinese Jamaican. It is, it is, that is our cast and that is the story. And it is about identity. We have Bunny, who is a queer woman coming, a queer girl coming of age in Jamaica in 1960s and trying to find herself. So it is just this true international intersectional marriage of cultures. And the story, you know, we literally filmed in, five different countries. So our cast and our crew and our writing staff, it is an absolute marriage of cultures in every uh, sense of the, the word. Um, so I was doing this because <laughs> I have I have yet to discover Mabel. And so it's like, oh, what? 
but it's but it's fine because what's so great about uh, Black Cake and the episodes, just when you think you know where the story's going, something happens. And never, and not always at the end. It could be at the beginning, it could be in the middle. And so I've been like this several times. <laughs> several Good. times. That was the design. <laughs> right. Let me stick with you here for a second, Marisa, because, Marisa Joe, because um, it, this uh, identity. And I read that as a biracial woman, you had a very strong connection yeah. to Eleanor. Uh, as a storyteller, why were you insistent? that Black Cake be told as a series and not a movie? Well, I just didn't know how you would tell all of these stories in two to two and a half hours or three hours, depending on how long movies are. Um, I, I wanted to tell every character's story. I, it is not just Covey's story. It is not just Eleanor's story. It is Benny's story. It is Byron's story. It is Mabel's story. It is Bunny's story. It is Lynn's story, Pearl's story, Matilda's story. These are all of the people who are in Covey's life. And I always say that season one is act one of Benny, Byron, and Mabel's stories, and Bunny's too. And I just wanted to really go deep and explore, you know, what would really happen if you're Mabel and you find out that your parents have lied to you about your adoption and your identity your entire life? What would happen if you're Benny and you find out that you have a half-sister, that your mother lied to you your entire life about who she was while you were struggling to find a way to tell her who you were? You know, I, I didn't want to rush through it because I wanted to honor the experience that is heightened to an extent because not all of us get these recordings after people we love pass away, but I just, the reaction to them, I wanted to be able to take our time and to really honor the book and the care with which, with, with which Charmaine put into this building this world and these characters. And I, I didn't see how you would tell anything but Covey's story in, in anything but a movie. Mm -hmm. And just to amplify what you um, said in Oprah Daily, I wanted to see black, brown, Asian people at the forefront of a story that wasn't about the civil rights movement, slavery, or oppression. And you wanted to tell a story you weren't seeing, a different black experience, a black immigrant experience, a young queer black experience, and an international black story. And I just have to say, for me, that's what's so, that's what makes this series so dynamic. I mean, I'm African-American and I relate to a lot, a lot of the story but a lot of the story is not my experience. And it, it makes, it pulls me in and I'm seeing, I'm seeing the commonalities and how we're all, um, we're all together uh, in this. Adrian, um, how does Black Cake counter the quote unquote strong black woman narrative? Oh man, that's a, thank you for asking that question. Um, one thing that Marissa and I talked about when talking about the character Benny. Benny is tricky and Benny is not everybody's taste. Benny <laughs> makes some very, very, very interesting uh, decisions in her life, as you will see, but they are all rooted in truth and how she feels and what she is experiencing. Often on um, television and in film, we see black women portrayed as unbelievably strong, resilient, and we are absolutely and we are also soft and we are also scared and we are also um, um, and we are also complicated and nuanced human beings. So being able to bring a character to life who isn't strong 
when we meet her, she is at one of the lowest points of her life and who does make decisions that are not to everyone's taste, but they're how she feels and she learns from them. To be able to see a woman, a black woman seen in that way and given the agency to just exist and to be and to be complicated. And that was a gift. And it has been an interesting <laughs> process watching everyone embrace Benny. But I will tell you, I am so proud of her and I am so grateful that Marissa brought a character like this to life. Well, let me stick with you, you here because if folks, if you're watching this and you're looking at Adrienne and she looks familiar, uh, that's because you saw her in um, The Woman King. Um, you saw her, um, <clears throat> excuse me, most recently, at least I did, in Rustin. How does Benny compared to those two strong women characters you played? Oh, Benny's the baby of her family. <laughs> Benny, Benny could learn a lot from the, the women that I play in those in those films. But you know what? I know that the spirit of those women exists in Benny. The spirit of our ancestors exists in me. And and I know that I'm so excited to see how Benny evolves, whereas Marissa and the rest of our um, amazing writers, where they take her journey. So to, to Marissa's point, this is act one, and I'm just as excited as everyone else to see what happens next. And to also to amplify what you've what you said in that Oprah Daily interview, you wrote, I felt it was important to show these women and girls who are strong also allow themselves to be vulnerable. And, and it's important because that's the way of breaking the cycles uh, and overcoming shame. So Marissa Joe, let's talk more about Benny because you know she's a queer she is a queer character, but she's a supporting character in Black Cake, but she turns out to be quite critical to the, the arc of the story. Um, what made her so necessary? Why is she so necessary? Well, just to echo you know, what Adrian said, because we had a, a recent conversation about this very subject, um, she's critical and I don't even look at her supporting. I mean, this is a true ensemble and you know, Benny is the, the lead character in certain episodes. Episode four is Benny's episode. Episode five is Benny's episode. Episode eight is Benny's episode. Um, she's so critical because, you know, she is reacting in a different way than her brother and, and then her half-sister to these revelations. They mean something very different to her. Her brother has had a, a, a very strong, you know, sense of self his whole life and has been encouraged to be himself. And Benny has felt like she had to live up to her parents and her brother. And now finding out she has to live up to this idea of this bit child that Eleanor gave up for adoption, which is, a, you know, a ghost. It's an imagination. It's a stranger. She doesn't know her. She gave birth to her, but she doesn't know her. And I say that because you know, I'm adopted. And, uh, you know, my mom is my mom, the person who raised me. And if I all of a sudden met my birth mom, I wouldn't just fall in love with her. And so Benny, knowing all of this stuff, I just wanted to honor the actual experience of what that would be like for her. And my writer's room, we have a truly diverse intersectional writers room and talking about you know coming of age as you know a queer young woman which some of my writers contributed to greatly and and also coming of age in a codependent abusive relationship and that is another reason i feel like gets lost in this discussion of who benny is and why she stays away 
she's an abusive relationship. And we spoke to a lot of survivors of domestic violence. And we really imparted so much of their wisdom into Benny's character and our portrayal of the relationship that she mm-hmm. has. And the relationship is one of the reasons that she's kept away from her family. The gaslighting, the isolation, that is something that happens in, in a lot of these relationships. So Benny is... She's she's is very strong. She mm-hmm. survives. She keeps fighting. She keeps going despite so many people and so many things out of her control holding her down. So absolutely critical to the story because Covey also experienced violence. She experienced so much. And Benny learning this about her mother makes her feel closer to her mother. And the tragic part is if only her mother could have told her these stories while she was alive so that they could have gotten through this together and had those eight years together. You know, I'm so glad I messed up that question um, because I got a fuller understanding of Benny, but I was actually wanting to know about Bunny. Bunny. Bunny, <laughs> who who is truly the supporting character because she is the best friend who in episode three, I believe it's revealed, you know, she's not interested in that boy that um, yeah. Covey is trying to get her to go out with. She's interested in Covey. And they have this quite beautiful conversation about that, where Covey is like, I, I love you, but not, but in a different way. And yet she tells her, but you can never say that out loud to anybody again. Um, Angel, let me ask you, you about that, um, about, about that scene and, and the importance of that scene and, and Bunny, if you could. Yeah, you know, Bunny sounds similar to Benny. And we we get to see just how much Covey actually loves her best friend. She names her child after her. And Bunny, honestly, is is one of my favorite characters. First, because Lachey is just unbelievably talented. And I I just find her heart is so bunny's heart is huge and she knows exactly who she is and she walks in her truth as best she can in the 1960s in jamaica which is unbelievably courageous and it is a beautiful thing to watch and the relationship between covey and bunny is a friendship that I think everyone wished they wish they had someone like Bunny in their life or wish they had a relationship like Bunny and Cubby's. Um, it is so special. And I I, I just think it, it's if it if there wasn't a bunny, there wouldn't be a Benny. And those who came before us in the queer community, them walking in their truth has always set the set the table for everyone else to be able to show up to that table as their authentic selves. And for that, you can always be grateful. Mm-hmm. And and literally, Bunny is literally a ride or die. <laughs> she is that best literally. friend. Yes. Literally ride or die. Um, we can't talk about a series based on a book entitled Black Cake without talking about the importance of, of food. Um, uh, Adrian, talk about the, the essential role that food plays uh, in this series. Okay, it's not a cooking show, but I will say <laughs> oh. food is a huge character in this story. <laughs> 
food is also so, so, um, like important in like families of color, the way that we connect to food, the way that we heal through food, the way that we heal in the ritual of preparing food for those that we love, um, black cake, particularly in this, in this film is a character. It literally holds a secret, spoiler alert, not spoiler alert, holds a secret, um, that will, unlock a lot of things for Benny and Bunny, or sorry, Benny and Byron. <laughs> uh, so food is so important. And it's also the connection between Covey and Benny. They both cook and they both love through and heal through their cooking. See, I'm not going to get any work done after this is over because I'm going to finish this series today. But Marissa Joe, I would love for you to talk about this as well, because as Adrian was talking, and the way, Adrian, you were talking about the role of food, you reminded me, you sounded just like my Washington Post colleague and a Washington Post Live guest, Michelle Norris, who has a podcast out, a whole series called Your Mama's Kitchen and the importance, yeah. and the importance of the kitchen and your mama's, your mama's food that's made in that kitchen to families and it crosses cultures. But Marissa Joe, I mean, you're you're the creator of this. Talk about um, why food is so important. <laughs> food, um, as Adrian said, uh, it, literally, black cake holds a, a secret that will answer a lot of questions. But it, when Covey is forced to run for her life, she's in, in an arranged marriage. She leaves Jamaica. She goes to London. Food connects her to home, and we see that a lot in episode two. The food, the smells, the sounds, the tastes of home that really makes her feel when she's feeling completely isolated in a country that is cold and gray and rainy, food connects her home. Um, she makes a soup that uh, she used to make at home. She bakes a black cake for a celebratory moment for one of her friends. And we try to see, we see a lot of different characters making black cake over the course of the first eight episodes. It connects us to our past. And that is, I, I think, just what the book really, um, I hope I, we imparted into the series that it is a connection to our past, to our ancestors, the things we don't even know. It can unlock secrets literally and figuratively and can clue us into you know, who we are fully in, in humanity. And Mabel, who we meet in episode five, you know, food is her life. And that is not an accident. From very young age, she wanted to explore food and truly indigenous foods and, you know, where certain recipes came from. And that's part of her culture. And she just doesn't know it, that it is actually part of her DNA until, you know, the middle of, of her life. So it is, it's a huge part of the show and of our, of our people, like Adrian said, you know, and our families and it's culturally, it, it, every family's, you know, kitchen looks different, but we all those, that nostalgia, that, that taste, those smells, they just put you right back you know, in your, in your mom, in your mama's kitchen. Mm -hmm. You know, let's talk more about, um, just not represent, not representation, but being present in this sense. Um, um, Adrian, you and Marissa Joe previously worked together on women of the movement where you played Mamie Till Mobley. You won a Tony award for your portrayal of Tina Turner. What have you learned from studying and embodying notable black women? Wow, it's a great question. I have learned so much. I couldn't even remotely even touch on everything in this conversation. But one thing that I have 
is a through line is these women love very deeply and they are willing to do whatever it takes to heal, to find justice for those they love. And there's something very um, admirable about leading with love and leading with your heart, even in moments when you feel like you should feel hate and you should act with hate in your heart. All of the women that I have had the opportunity and responsibility to uh, research and play, um, they have all led with their heart first and with love first. Mm -hmm. And Marissa Joe, you've been a part of the writer's room for The Handmaid's Tale, 13 Reasons Why, The Fosters, many more. How, and you, you briefly touched on this before, but I'm gonna give you the time remaining to talk more fully about this, how you're making space for black writers. Well, <clears throat> it's my responsibility to bring up the writers who come after me, regardless of their age, but just the writers who are in different stages of their careers. A lot of people in my position, black showrunners, feel the same way. We talk about it a lot um, because I you know, was given the opportunity to be on set when I was a baby writer, when I was a staff writer. I was able to pitch to actors when I was a middle mid-level writer. And when I worked with uh, Gina Prince-Bifewood and Reggie Rock-Bifewood on Shots Fired, they treated me as if I was running the show with them. And I will hold on to all of those opportunities. And I take it as a huge responsibility to bring other young, young, new writers who are trying to find their way and their voice. It's my responsibility to offer them uh, guidance, to bring them up whenever I have an opportunity that makes sense for them, to put them in that opportunity, to put them in front of the people. Um, who could give them new opportunities. It's so important to me. Um, and also to write these stories so I could populate my writer's room uh, with their voices um, to keep writing uh, and keep producing and supervising um, projects uh, so that we're not a trend that we, you know, that we're, we're here for to stay. You know, you just anticipated, because I was going to say, you, you, you said something similar to Ebony Magazine last month where you said, the thing I'm worried about for other black writers and showrunners is making sure our stories aren't a trend and that our stories aren't the first thing, aren't the first to go. Do you think, and I think we've got like a, we've got a minute or so left. Is that still a worry in 2023 that the stories of a huge part of not just the American population, but the global population could stand the possibility of not being told anymore. Yes, it's a very real, very present uh, concern. Um, it, especially post-strike, a lot of the shows that aren't being picked up, if you look at them, they uh, there are a lot of shows that have, you know, Black people or people of color as, you know, the main cast, character storylines. Um, you know, part of that is, you know, the industry's changing, but part of it is, you know, it's no longer, you know, people saying, okay, we gotta, we gotta do better. It's like, oh, we, we should continue to do better, even though it is not 2020 anymore. We have to keep telling these stories. We have to keep giving people voices who are historically excluded from being at the table. So it's a very real concern. Um, I just had a conversation about it on Monday um, with other people in my position. And all we can do is just keep fighting, keep talking, keep writing, keep producing. And like I said, keep bringing people up. 
if we can. But yeah, it's it's a concern. It, you just have to look at, at the shows that are being um, picked up, being canceled. Right. Um, they have things in common. That was sort of a leading question because last week I talked to an actor and producer of Fancy Dance um, that is based in the, in the Native American community. It's gotten great accolades, yet nary a studio has bought it, uh, which, is, which is just study. Adrian, uh, I'm going to go a little over and give you the last word. Any last thoughts you want to share about Black Cake? I just want to share, I, I know that I've never seen a show quite like this before, and that is because Marissa Jo Sarar, and that is because the incredible book by Charmaine Wilkerson. Please, please, please watch Black Cake on Hulu. You won't regret it. Um, that is for sure. You will not <laughs> regret it. Creator and showrunner Marissa Jo Sarar and actor Adrienne Warren, the, the, the Hulu series is called Black Cake. Thank you both so much for coming to K-Part on Washington Post Live. Thank you. Thanks for listening to K-Part. It's edited by Nick Roberts. We'll have new episodes for you every Thursday. I'm Jonathan K-Part. You can find me on Twitter at K-Part